Folks, this is Jack Spear going with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. Times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is March 26, 2013, and it is a Tuesday, and this is episode 1098, 1098 of the Survival Podcast. And it's kind of a two-parter, how a libertarian society would function and moving to a new state in conjunction with the Walking to Freedom Project. Before I get into the main topics today, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day number one today, coincidentally, I, I promise you I didn't plan this, but it's the Free State Project, folks up in New Hampshire with the original and the only true Free State Project. We hear Free State Project, in spite of what I'm going to talk about today with choosing any state that's better than the one you're in, um, the, the Free State Project is a program being run in New Hampshire by the Free Staters designed to create liberty in our lifetime by attempting to make New Hampshire into the most libertarian state in society, or at least in our society in America today. Uh, they're doing great things up there. They're an amazing group of people. And, hey, you can help them out even if it's not in the cards for you to move to New Hampshire. Part of what I'm going to talk about today is how I love what's going on in New Hampshire, but I'm not going to be able to go there. It's not going to work for me. Um, so I thought, why not? Let's look out for other places we can go. But boy, when you're looking for a home, Put New Hampshire on the list of places that you're considering and see if it works for you. And remember, the most uh, powerful vote, vote that you can cast in a republic is voting with your feet. That comes from the Free State Project. Next up today, uh, I want you guys to check out HarvestEating.com. The illustrious Chef Keith Snow, who now makes his home in the wild west of Montana, who will teach you to cook seasonally and locally. He also has some amazing seasonings, some great videos, and a great podcast. You'll find all of that and more at HarvestEating.com. And that means when you hear me in the coming months here as we're in spring, talk, start talking about planting all kinds of crazy stuff that you never find in your local produce section. And you're like, what do I do with all this stuff? Go over to see Chef Keith Snow website, and he will teach you to make cooking a life skill and help you focus on technique over recipe. Again, HarvestEating.com, and make sure to subscribe to Chef Keith's podcast. It'll be worth your time. Also want to remind you guys about the TSP Gear Shop. Again, I've got some really cool stuff in there for you guys now. We keep adding more and more. Kelly John Doe's doing a great job. Most of the stuff in the shop right now is shipping the day, a day or two after it's ordered. Uh, I was pretty impressed when I went and tested the service myself and ordered stuff for myself, how quickly it ended up here, even with plain old regular shipping. And remember, you get 10% off the gear shop now if you are an MSB member, which is a nice segue into, hey, consider joining the member support brigade. You listen to this show and you think at the end of the show, you know what? That's worth 20 cents. That's worth 20 cents. Then consider joining the MSB because that's about what you'll be paying. It's about 20 cents an episode. That doesn't mean that if you're listening, you have to join or you feel obligated. I'm just saying that's... That's part of the angle that I put on it to bring you guys value and have you, uh, those that decided they wanted to support the show and look at the value proposition that I'm offering you, 20 cents an episode. Discounts to over 40 different vendors uh, where you will get your investment back many times over as a member of the MSB. If you're buying stuff in the 
home, uh, you know, the homesteading, self-reliance, self-sufficiency, tactical world. If you're spending money on stuff that fits that criteria every year, I guarantee you, you're going to get your money back. Hell, you're even going to get your money back if you buy herbal supplements with the discount membership that's free uh, from Western Botanicals that saves you 25% on everything you own. So it's a good value. With that wrapped up, I want to go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. Um, it's been a long time since I talked about libertarianism and the concept of being a libertarian, why I'm a libertarian, why I believe that it is the best solution that we have for our society today, because I believe it's the best solution that it's actually possible to begin moving towards in our lifetime. Um, I'm not going to talk a lot about objectivism and um, anarchism today, uh, other than to say initially that libertarians, if you're just a libertarian, that doesn't make you an anarchist, it doesn't make you an objectivist. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about this topic lately on an article that I wrote, just a little brief article, to kind of explain where all of my viewpoints were coming from when I started TSP. So that means I wrote that article almost five years ago now. Do you guys know that June this year will be the fifth year anniversary of TSP? Isn't that cool? So anyway... I wrote this article a long time ago. I got a few comments here and there. The blog didn't have very much traffic. It was always just kind of like, if you want to know where I'm coming from with homesteading, if you want to know where I'm coming from with permaculture and you're worried that it's going to be Agenda 21 and, you know, greeny weeny crap or whatever, no, here's where I'm coming from. Well, all of a sudden, over the past couple of months, I've got a lot of discussion on that article and another article that I wrote on libertarianism, and that showed me there's new people coming in And the big issue is that a lot of these comments demonstrate to me that these people that are telling me why it doesn't work or why it's wrong or why they only believe in part of it, and that's fine. I'm not expecting anybody to listen to this today and go, gee, you know, I'm a diehard Republican. I always have been, and I'm for all of these particular things that are diametrically opposed to libertarianism, and I do agree with these things. And But after today, since Jack explained what it is, I'm going to switch and become a libertarian. I'd love it, but I don't expect you to. And that's not my goal or my agenda. My agenda and my goal today is simply for you to know what you're saying yes or no to. Because a lot of people don't know. One of the commenters on the blog said the founding father of libertarian is Ayn Rand uh, with Atlas Shrugged. Nothing could be further from the truth. Objectivism has a lot of libertarian elements in it, but it's not libertarianism. And you can't put a libertarian, and I'm kind of my next point, I'm going to get into how we differ from Democrats, Independents, and Republicans. And you'll start to realize how hard it is to put just the concept of libertarianism into a box in of itself. But you're not an objectivist just because you're a libertarian, and you're not, not a libertarian just because you're an objection, objectivist, okay? But there's, there, there's two, there's major differences in philosophy there, especially if we look at the personal viewpoints of Rand in some of the world political events where most libertarians would have a lot of differences in their views, such as conflict in the Middle East. So it's not the same thing. Libertarianism absolutely is an anarchism. I'm not going to go into anarchism. Every time I do, I piss the anarchists off. I'll try to do this as easy as I can for you guys. By idealism, I am an anarchist. I would love for a true anarchist society to exist. I don't think that humanity has evolved far enough, and I believe there's too much damage that's been done by corruption for us to have an anarchist state. I believe that when we look at things like the ability to exist in a completely stateless society uh, where everybody just makes their own choices and we kind of have a Star Trek world where poverty's gone and everybody gets along and 
and all of that stuff. And I know that's not the, the, the total promise of anarchism, guys. I get it. But for enough of society to exist that way so that there would be stability, that is so far on the horizon that I liken it to this way. If where we are now and where I believe we are is in a totalitarian state, I, I believe our government is fascist, which is just another form of socialism. I'm not going to get into why Nazis and, so, and fascism don't have to, to coexist for fascism to exist today, other than to tell you that a fascist society, if you look up the textbook definition of fascist economics, that this country meets that definition perfectly, accepting classic fascism, the government is the one that is in control, wherein this kind of neo-fascism that we're in now, the industry is the one leading government versus the other way around. The collaborations there, the class segmentation of societies there, all that stuff is there. And we'd say that that's Miami, Florida, and that an anarchist um, system that, that functions is, I don't know, in... Anchorage, Alaska. Libertarianism is somewhere around Montana. Okay? And if we're driving from Miami to Alaska, we're going to have to go through Montana. And that would be a completely clean, total libertarian society, something that would be to the full ideals of libertarianism. And I don't think I'm going to see that in my lifetime. I'd be happy if I could get us to, like, you know, I don't know, Oklahoma. I, I, and I think that maybe that's possible in that grand analogy. So we have to start out with the fact that libertarians aren't anarchists and aren't opposed to any intervention or any involvement by the state. They're not 100% definitely opposed to any form of taxation, though many libertarians are. But many of us are pragmatic about the situation and say there has to be this kind of weaning off period where we have to transition society. And there's this, this place for things in between, but there's better ways to do it. And there's a lot of cutting that can be done immediately and certainly a ton of cutting that can be done over, let's say, a 10-year period in the role of government in our lives. But that there's so many things that have been entrenched that if you're pragmatic as a libertarian, you have to you know that you have to go through a deconstruction process. You can't flip a switch and make it happen. Now, if I could flip a switch and make it happen, I would. But I can't. So I have to take a pragmatic approach to how do I get at least to hell Georgia if I'm leaving Miami on my way to Alaska. How do I get at least to Georgia, you know? Um, and what route am I going to take? Am I going to go through Oklahoma or am I going to go up through Kentucky? I mean, I don't know, right? I got to go wherever the, the pragmatic reality allows me to go. If I have to start with one or two issues and start demonstrating that if we had those liberties, society would be better off. In the words of Ron Paul, if we grant some freedom to people, maybe they'll like it and ask for more. Okay. Uh, and maybe, in fact, they'll start demanding more. And, and the, my view is that if you want freedom and libertarianism, there's two ways to go about it. The one that's the long-term goal we're talking about today is how you actually get to a society that functions this way. The way you do it immediately is in your own life. And you start behaving like a libertarian in your own life. You take opportunities to be libertarian in your own life at every opportunity, even when you don't like the other side of the coin, which we'll get to some hot-button issues in a second, and how I see those fitting in my life as a libertarian. But let's start with how we differ from Democrats, Independents, and Republicans. Let's start out with what an Independent is in our current system. An Independent in our current system is somebody that's either a Democrat or a Republican but doesn't want to admit it, 99% of the time. There are almost no true Independents in the American electorate out there. Um, there are wishy-washy people that don't really 
base what they're doing on a solid principle. They just go whatever they think is better at the time. And then there are people that say they're independents but vote Democrat 90% of the time or more. Or they say that they're Republicans or independents and then they vote Republican 90% of the time or more. If you, by preponderance, vote mostly to a large degree for one party over the other, you're not independent. You're just saying, I am open to possibly voting for someone else if they say the right words and convince me that their opponent is worse than they are. When it comes to true Republicans and Democrats, there's a very clear box that the majority go into. And the funny thing is, as soon as they start to break with their party toward the other party, they almost inevitably head toward the libertarian spectrum. What I mean is that most Republicans are, 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 and I don't mean, I'm going to give me a, a cleansing blanket statement right now, this second, so that I'm understood for the rest of today. When I say Republicans X, Democrats Y, for the rest of this show, I am not talking about people holding elected office. I'm talking about your brother and sister Americans across this country the people that vote that way and that believe the marketing bullshit that both parties hand down to them, okay? This is not the Democratic uh, National Committee, the Republican National Committee, the congressmen, the senators, the people that are currently holding the White House offices or did in the past. This is not politicians I'm talking about, Democrats and Republican self-described individuals. Those people, the second the Republican that's for smaller government, less government intervention in their lives, etc., starts to dissent with the marketing, not the reality. Because if you actually paid attention to what either party was doing, all of you would dissent tomorrow. All of you would leave your... Every American that really stands with the Democrats or really stands with the Republicans because of their marketing would become an independent, a constitutionalist, a libertarian, or something different tomorrow morning... If you were actually holding your party accountable to its marketing, okay? So let's clear that too. But the Republican that believes in the marketing of the GOP yet, still have your eyes closed. Smaller government, less government intervention, more individual uh, economic freedoms, controlling spending, lower taxes, okay? They fit that. And Democrats fit kind of an opposite. Government should have a role. There should be a safety net. No, 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 no. You know the talking points. I'm not going to even debate which one's right or which one's wrong. I'm just telling you they're there. But as soon as a Democrat, again, this is the person, not the politician, starts to question, wait a minute, do we really need to spend that much money on this crap? They start to get more fiscally conservative, but they tend to cling and I'm not saying that in a bad way at all, to their belief for individual social liberties. Okay, And what they do is they look over at the Republicans and go, oh, God, they're evil. They want to stop all of these things. And even though I agree with them on these few points, I, this, there's so much worse than, than, than these thieves over here that I'm, so I'm going to stay with this mafia family versus this other mafia family. And Republicans do the same things. But the philosophy starts to go to libertarianism because the libertarian would tell you all of the fiscal messaging of the GOP and actually want it and all of the social individual freedoms, liberties, right to privacy, right to equal treatment under the law that Democrats promise and don't deliver. Okay, Because both parties have had significant majorities in all branches of government in the history 
of every living voter today, you can at least think of a time that you were alive when either the Republicans had 100% control of the Senate, the House, and the White House, and Democrats have had the same thing in your lifetime. And all of the bullshit that they promised that they would do if they ever had total control never happened. So they're lying to you. And every time you start to dissent with what your party's doing, whether you believe it or not, you start to head toward, now I'm saying you're becoming a libertarian, you're heading toward that, that philosophy. So what do libertarians really want? This is what I want as a libertarian. And the first thing I have to tell you is I can't tell you what all libertarians want because I would be telling you what's right for another person. And the very first thing I have to accept as a libertarian is I don't get to do that anymore. I don't get to tell you the way you should live your life or the way Joe should live his life. And you don't get to tell me the way I should live my life. You don't get to tell me if I should go to church or not. You don't get to tell me who I should be involved with romantically in my life. You don't get to tell me what substances I should or should not put into my body. You don't get to tell me jack diddly shit about how I live my life up and until the point that I infringe on your rights, your liberties, or another person's. That is all. That's what I want. That means you can knock, unlike a lot of people, I would tell you if you want socialism, go knock yourself out. Just fund it from your, from your people that support your idea. Go found Socialist Utopia USA as a county somewhere. Get a whole bunch of these rich people that are supposedly for socialism, like Warren Buffett, that are worth billions of dollars. Surely all of these rich people that are supposed to be for socialism could pull their money together and buy one county somewhere in America, buy the whole damn thing, and prove it works without compelling anyone to participate and demonstrate its superiority. Go ahead, do it. Knock yourself out. That's how I feel about socialism, and I can add that to any other form of economics or government you want as long as I am not compelled to participate and knock yourself out. And there's the rub, because what you start to find out when you make that proposal and someone starts to explain how they would make it happen and you ask them why it's not happening, they tell you, well, because, and what it always leads to is, We don't have enough power to force people to be involved. Well, wait a minute. You don't get to do that. So that's what I want. I want you to have all the socialist communes you want as long as you own the property, you paid for it, you did your own fundraising, and anybody that wants to that's there can leave any time that they want to leave. And frankly, you have to take people that want to come, too. Well, you don't have to take them. No, I understand why you wouldn't want to do that. That would be anti-libertarian for me. But I would love it if you would take the ones that think it's a good idea. And I'd like to see what that county would look like in 10 years. How many people there would be doing anything? And the answer is probably not many. Probably not many. And I would like to see that if all these billionaires that are supposedly for socialism just gave you guys enough money to set it up and then said, now you got to do it yourself. you got to make it work. How long it would take you to crash and burn? We heard what happened in Cuba. Cuba is a perfect example of that. A communist island that was well-funded and set up, and as soon as the big daddy money went away and the Soviet Union fell apart, collapsed onto its ass. There you go. That's So that's what I want. I want you to have the opportunity to demonstrate any system you want, unencumbered by anybody else, but you can't take anybody with you. That's a pretty open-minded way to live. Let's take some hot-button social issues, and I'll give you some thoughts on it. Let's start with a huge one. That's in the court system right now, gay marriage. I have multiple opinions of gay marriage. Okay, 
As a heterosexual male, the thought of two men even kissing is gross to me. Okay? I'll admit that. I'll admit my bias and my prejudice there. It's disgusting to me. And anything that goes beyond that, I don't want to know about. 25 years ago, if you had asked me my opinion of this, I said gay people don't need to be married. They need to go do something else with themselves. Today, without even going into libertarianism, as a pure constitutionalist, which even though I think there's parts of the Constitution that are not libertarian enough for me, even though I'd like to move the entire nation more libertarian, if we're going to live in this nation, we should at least follow its founding law, the Constitution. As a constitutionalist, I view the issue this way. If the government of this nation, according to our Constitution, is to afford rights, protections, privileges, and voluntary obligations to any member of society that's a citizen in our society, we are thereby bound by our same Constitution to extend those things to all citizens, regardless of their race, religion, creed, national origin, sexual orientation. And don't give me your traditional marriage argument, because what was a traditional marriage 200 years ago in America? Wives weren't allowed to own property. Oh, gee, oh, wait a minute, wives were property, weren't they? Okay, and, and, and 250 years ago, black two black people couldn't even get married to each other in America. And then eventually they made it where, well, you could with your master's permission. Okay, so don't give me the traditional marriage argument. If we start going down what traditional marriage has been over the last 500 years, we'll find a lot of things that a lot of people opposed to this will say, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And I think one day a lot of people will look back at this and say that was wrong too when this is normalized, and I wouldn't even say normalized, legalized and recognized as being right under our Constitution and the world doesn't explode and blow up and go, you know, the, the, the whole world doesn't fall into a black hole because of it and there's you can't really bitch about it anymore and, and there's nothing to say about it anymore. It'll get pushed away to the, to the refuse of where it belongs and maybe people will stop worrying about this issue that doesn't affect them and start asking our, our, our people running our government things like, where did all our money go? Isn't that a little bit more important than whether Tom and Bill or Sue and Debbie get married? So that's my constitutional view. My libertarian view is much, much different. My libertarian view is the state, meaning the federal government or the individual lowercase states, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Florida, Texas, California, should not be in the business of marriage in the first place. Marriage should be an inherently private issue between two people And their version of God, whether they're evolutionist or creationist or Christian or Muslim or Jew or atheist, I don't care. Their version of whatever makes them human and themselves, it's their business. It's not my business. It's not your business. It's not anybody else's business. And even if you don't like what somebody else does, if you want to be libertarian, you want the freedom to do what you want. Maybe they don't like what you do. Maybe they think you're wrong for what you do. And you just like them to leave you the hell alone so you can conduct business your way in your life. And that means to have that, it is incumbent that you give it to other people. You have to you give live and let live. It's a pretty simple thing. Now, how would that work? Oh, my God. Women didn't get any kind of... If you want a legally binding contract, okay, that says in the event of separation, these things happen, that can be done under common law. We do not need it immediately applied with neither side understanding what they're what they're what they're doing when they get married. And let's look at it this way. If I get married in the state of Texas, my marriage contract means something. 
Okay, And it means something according to Texas law. Even though Texas issued the license, if my wife and I move to Pennsylvania and become residents of Pennsylvania, our marriage is recognized, but not the original contract. We are now subject to contract law of marriage in Pennsylvania, even though they didn't issue our marriage certificate. Well, that, I have a legal issue. Now, think about that. That's, that's a problem in of itself, is it not? Okay, now, how about this? Two people get married in the state of Georgia. They don't know what the law is in Georgia when they get married. Most people don't know what the law is. They make certain assumptions about divorce law, but they're not really focused on it. They're focused on getting married. Oh, how about this? Georgia can change the nature of the contract after it's executed without consent of either party. See, when you start actually examining the state policing marriage today, you realize that it takes away all the rights of the individuals in the marriage to know what and how their contract is executed and how it's terminated if they choose to do so. The state has decided what will happen unless you specifically change it through individual agreement. And the state can change the terms of the contract that it issued on your behalf without even notifying you. That wouldn't work in any other form of contract law out there. There's no way that would work anywhere else other than in the institution of marriage, which they've convinced you is somehow different from a legal standpoint. I'm not talking about the religious notation or the love connotation or the family unit connotation here. I'm talking about the legal definition, which is what everybody's trying to ban in outlaw. So there's my view of it. It's not our damn business. And the state shouldn't be in the business of policing in the first place. And if somebody is concerned that they want additional obligations, protections, and privileges under the covenant of marriage, they should seek contract law to apply to that marriage that would be the same as if you and I made an agreement and we're not married. And every apparatus for that is in place in our society. And then government could fulfill its role of ensuring that agreed-upon contracts were executed and or when in breach negotiated in good faith. That seems like a much better way to run a society than me telling you that your marriage means one thing in one state and one thing in another state. Oh, by the way, if you move from the state that gave you the contract to the new state, the new state's laws apply to your old contract, and nobody ever told you that. But tough shit. That's just the way it's going to be. Oh, gee, you got married in a state that didn't have alimony? Well, not too bad. You moved to a place that did have alimony. You didn't know they had that when you moved there? Oh, you only moved there for a job so you can provide for your spouse? Tough shit. Pay the alimony. Oh, by the way, that can happen to a woman, too, if she happens to be the one with more money. So don't think it's a sexist issue. You see how this all works? It's all a mess. The state has no business in this business in the first place. How about an issue like marijuana, legalizing marijuana? Um, I would vote to legalize marijuana in any, any way that I possibly have ever given the opportunity to. And one of my you know, big misgivings about my own state is I don't think it'll ever happen. It's a trade-off, but I think that you're, you're really pushing a string to get it legalized here in Texas. I don't want to smoke marijuana. I don't think you should smoke marijuana. I don't think anybody should smoke marijuana. I think it's bad for you, with certain exceptions, just like certain medications can be used at certain times. I think marijuana can be used as a legitimate medication and at least a first step is going to a medical marijuana law in any given state or jurisdiction. But here's my, my, you know, and this is my libertarian view of it. It's a plant. It grows in the ground. It's not processed. It's not refined. It doesn't go through any type of manufacturing process. If you throw seeds for this plant on the ground, it will grow all by itself. It might be bad for you. It might have many consequences against eating it. So does foxglove. It will kill you dead. But yet we don't have people running around eating foxglove and dying. There's no FDA person or no you know, Department of Homeland Security person or no DEA agent running around to prevent you from eating foxglove. And yet nobody eats foxglove and dies because it kills you. 
And there are plenty of things that are physically damaging to your health, every bit as much or more than marijuana. Dare I say, high fructose corn syrup laced with glyphosate has probably ruined the health of more individuals than marijuana, and the FDA says it's good for you and eat it. So there's no constitutional basis for telling a person they can't consume, smoke, or grow a plant because it's a natural earth given substance that may or not be may or may not be bad for you but plenty of other plants that may or may not be bad for you oh by the way plenty of other plants that can give you some sort of a high or drug induced action are legal so to me it's just anti libertarian and it's also anti constitutional And there were amendments that had to be passed to even allow the government to regulate a substance like that because they knew it was unconstitutional when they decided they wanted to do it. So I just don't think it should be illegal, and I don't think it's a gateway to other drugs. Oh, if they smoke marijuana, they'll be doing LSD in a day. You know what? Every human being on planet Earth drinks water, so I could say that water is a gateway to all drugs. In fact, water is a gateway to alcohol. I bet every person that ever drank alcohol uh, drank water first. See how that works? That's where I'm coming from with that. Let's move on to some other things. Is there any room for any form of taxation in a libertarian system? I would say in the long-term, over-the-horizon view of a completely minarchist libertarian state, no. None at all that the government would have to raise revenues through providing value-added services that people voluntarily paid for. In the interim, in this deconstruction phase, I'd say there is definitely room for taxation, and we can get a lot better with the taxes that we have. Let's start out with you know, an income tax. Could an income tax ever be fair? I think the first thing you'd have to do to make an income tax fair is to make it fair. I mean, that's simple. How would you do such a thing? Okay, you would tax everybody at the exact same tax rate. Let's say 10%. If you made a dollar, you'd pay a dime. If you made a million dollars, you'd pay a hundred thousand. That would make it fair. It would also equalize things. I, I don't think people get that. See, if everybody was taxed on income at the exact same rate, pricing within the economy would have that built in as a component And you wouldn't be punished for greater productivity. If you made a million dollars a year versus a hundred thousand, you would realize the true benefit of the additional nine hundred thousand dollars, which means there's more incentive for you to do it. So inherently, I find a tax on income completely unfair. I find it almost I find it criminal to tax productivity, and I find it criminal to tax property. But we're in a system that does this already, and if you wanted to make it fair based on the system. That's how you would do it. You would get rid of the graduated income tax. By the way, the graduated income tax is one of the 12 planks of the Communist Manifesto. Did you know that? There's 12 planks of the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx, and one of the main tenets is you have to have a graduated income tax. So instead of equalizing society from a standpoint of everybody gets the same return on the same effort, you equalize everybody in the fact that you're trying to make everybody get the same return regardless of effort. From each according to his needs, to e or from, from each according to his abilities, to each according to his needs. Okay, doesn't that's, that's exactly what graduated income taxes do. To tax one person at 40% and tax another person at 20% and tax another person at 0% is inherently unfair. Well, the poor people are disproportionately burdened if they have to pay taxes. No, they're not. 
No, you're not. Because again, if we taxed the income of all individuals equally at, say, 10%, that would be plenty of money for the government to do everything it needs to do. Oh, by the way, corporations would pay that same 10% tax rate and all these loopholes and crap and everything that they get, this corporate welfare system where a company like Apple ends up paying less taxes than, than, you know, they, than, than the income they made in one day for the year. Um, no, that all goes away too. They would pay a flat, 10% tax rate on profit, individual business owners, a tax of 10% on profit, individual employees, a tax of 10% on wages. Done. The end. Over. And if you can't pay for it in our government with that, you don't need it. That would be step one to deconstructing this mess. And you would see that the government revenues would not go down anywhere as dramatically as we're told that they would do. I also don't think the government should be in the business of borrowing money unless they can demonstrate an ability to repay it. And repay it within a certain amount of time with no consequences to the debt not being rolled over to new debt. But that's a totally different situation we'll leave out today. Um, how would you run a food system in a libertarian system? I mean, that, that's a big thing. With safety concerns, they have all these inspectors, the Tyson, is it, see what they're, if they're dipping the chickens into the, the, the shit and chlorine soup mix at its right temperature. Okay, we got to make sure. And if they don't have the sequester, oh my God, we might have enough inspectors to go watch the ticket chickens be dumped into a vat of E. coli that's dead from the chlorine and the steaming hot water that the chickens going into. Oh my God, how in a libertarian system people would drop over like flies everywhere in the world. Except we never had any of this shit until about the last 50 years that people didn't drop over and die everywhere from chickens every day because we raised the chickens in a lot more humane, less industrialized manner, and there was less risk in the first place. But let's let all that go. This is how a food system would run in Jack Spirko's libertarian society. If you bought a product like a chicken, and it was a chicken that somebody just whacked the head off, pulled the feathers out of, gutted and handed to you, it's nobody's business but you and the person selling you the chicken. If the chicken runs through a processing distribution facility, then I believe as a consumer, since you can't actually see where the chicken came from, you can't actually ask a question of the person that plucked it and gutted it and gave it to you, that the method by which the chicken was farmed, the method by which the chicken was prepared, everything that was done to that chicken, and all along the way would be disclosed to you in some sort of a, a, a manner, a label. Okay, a libertarian for labels? Sure, because when we are doing business with each other and I'm buying a chicken from you, inherently we have a contract. If I can look in your backyard, see your chicken running around, see the place you cut your chicken's head off, uh, all that good stuff, or if it would be reasonable for me to do that if I wanted to, you're selling it through a store at the end of the road, your store is a couple of miles down the road from your farm, or the store, you know, that's, that's all good and well. If you're distributing chickens all over the United States from Kansas, then there's no way for that consumer to know who they bought that chicken from. So I would have disclosure be required. And if you want to dip your chickens into steaming hot chlorine baths full of chicken shit, which is how they prepare mass-produced chicken, that's fine. You can do it, but you should have to tell people that's what you've done. If I am making Jack's pies, I have Jack's pies, and I make apple pies from pies from my orchard, then I should be able to, to be able to sell you all the apples from my orchard that I want to, as long as they're normal apples that I haven't done anything to. If I've done something to the apples, like genetically modified them, you should have a right to know that. You should just have a right to know in this contract what you're getting from me. You should at least have the right to ask, and if I lie to you, I should be in breach. Okay. If I'm making pies, though, you're looking at a pie. You don't know what's in the pie. 
on a certain small scale, if I'm making Jack's pies, if you want to know, ask. If you don't ask, it's your problem. Once you go to a certain distribution scale, yes, I should have to put the ingredients that are on the pie, including genetically modified apples, not just apples, if that's what I've put in the pie. Because I have a contract with you on the other end of the transaction. Okay? So I should have to disclose what I've done with the pie. If you are in any position where it's impossible for you to determine. And if government steps in and requires labeling, then labeling should be accurate. Because now you've set in the mind of the consumer the right to know, and they read the label, and it says apples. They, you know what else should be in there? Arsenic. It should say, if you spray your freaking apples with arsenic, it should say arsenic. Anything that goes into that food, anything that can, if I can test it and it's in there, and you're going to have a label, it should be on there so I can make a, a decision. This does not restrict the free market. This would empower the free market. Because then people would actually go, why is there freaking arsenic in Jack's pie? Screw Jack, I'm going to go buy Paul Wheaton's Huckleberry Pie with no arsenic in it. See how it works? That's So don't think that it means there's no control over nothing. It's just I don't get to tell you what to put in your pie. I don't get to tell you how much sugar to put in your pie. I don't get to tell you how thick the crust is. I don't get to tell you where you buy the apples from. I don't get to do any of that crap. I just, as a state in this minarchist society, would say, if you're going to sell something to somebody, they get, they get to know what they're buying. You have to provide reasonable ability for them to determine what they've purchased. Okay? They should have to do independent research that goes 360 degrees around to come back to figure out what you've done. They should be able to easily find out what you're doing. And if you lie, you are in breach, and you are in criminal violation of your contract with the consumer. And let me tell you what would happen. You wouldn't need a single government agency to enforce this. There would be a whole crap load of attorneys that says they can't run for political office or lobby for shit anymore or make up trumped up lawsuits would have nothing to do with their time. And they would be sitting on their ass and they would end up working in what we would call a counter marketing department of major corporations. And if Nabisco put out they were doing something a certain way, you can bet that Kellogg's would go in and test every damn thing that they have in their own independent labs, and if they found any violation, would bring a lawsuit against Nabisco as a competitive measure. And you would literally have the companies policing themselves against each other due to competition, which would be a much more accurate system than the one we have in government today. But I digress. That's insanity, isn't it? Wait, wouldn't you do that? If you were competing with a business that you knew was engaged in false advertising, would you not point it out? Would it not have a greater effect than a fine that's less than the savings issued by the government so they can just keep doing it? Just saying. Okay. How would we run a banking system in a libertarian system? Um, the first thing we would do in a libertarian system is get rid of just about all regulations over banks immediately. The banks can do whatever they want. Oh, God, they'll break children. And, no, no, no. Hold on, hold on. But a bank would be required to provide in plain English to all depositors everything about how that bank operates, manages money, moves money around in plain English, not legalese. So that a person choosing a bank could find out how does that bank make loans? Where does the money come from? What kind of reserves do they have? Who, who are their creditors? Who do they owe money to? Who owes money to them? What are their, so it would just be a very easy thing to evaluate a bank. And if a bank wanted to do it with gold and silver, fine. If they wanted to do it with fiat currency, fine. They don't do it with bitcoins, fine. I don't care. Do it however you want. Just to disclose it. How does that protect the consumer? The disclosure is an inherent contract between the legal entity of the bank and the consumer. 
So anytime the bank violates its own disclaimed policies and procedures, that's in violation of its contract with its consumer and subject to contract law. Now the state has a role to fill. Good faith, good faith mediation, and if mediation fails, enforcement of the contract. See? And then a bank that screws completely up and fails would fail. And as long as the consumer was granted the protections or insurance inherent to the agreement, it's not the government's business that a bank failed. How much more innovative would banking be today? You know, what questions do you ask when you choose a bank today? What's the interest rate on my savings account? 0.1%, dumbass. Go ahead, stick your money in here for no purpose at all. What's the fee on my checking? What's the interest rate on a mortgage? Right? What are your hours of operation? Does anybody ask, how does this bank create money? Because either you don't know and don't care because you're dumbed down, or you know and you know it doesn't matter because they all do it the same way. We've homogenized the banking system where there is no innovation in banking. Well, there's no choice in banking. One bank might as well be the next bank in this country. There's no competition. There is no free market in banking. And everything that's done from a regulation standpoint just empowers the largest banks, the largest financial elites, and disempowers anybody that would want to break into the sector and do anything innovative. Okay? That's my view of that. How would we build schools and roads? Nobody would get anybody. Everybody would starve. All children would only learn uh, how to walk, and that would be it. They would never learn to read. There would never be any schools. I actually believe, first of all, let's take the road issue. A state should do something for its society. And one of those things that should enable and encourage commerce and trade between the members of society, and if that society is a republic, they should take on an even greater role to ensure commerce, transportation, communication between the member states of the republic. So the government building roads, knock them out, man. I have no problem with it. You know what? If we have the same motor vehicle fuels tax and all the taxes of vehicle registration and everything that exists now, that takes taxation and fees from motor vehicle users. And 100% of that money went to bridges, roads, and, 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 and highway infrastructure. We would have the greatest highway system that's ever existed in the imagination of mankind. So that is a legitimate role of government to this libertarian. There are other libertarians that say all roads should be toll roads and blah, blah, blah. And no, I don't believe that because it inhibits free movement in a society. There are very minimal roles of government. That is one of them. The education system. Okay. Let's talk about the education system for a minute. Um, I'm not convinced that we're getting a return of investment on our schools as it is. If there is going to be a school tax and I'm going to have to pay it and my kids are going to go to a school, I should be able to send them to any school that I want to with the tax dollars appropriated for my kid. So if the state of Texas is knocking out 10, 15, and I think it's about $12,500 a year for a kid to go to the second grade. That's about how much money it costs to send a child to the second grade in the state of Texas. I should be able to say, you know what? No, how about you give me the 12,5 and I provide for my student's own education. And you say, well, how are you going to do it? And if you say, I'm going to do it at home. Okay, file a report that shows all the expenses that you incur to educate your child, and you can have the money based on what you spend up to the amount allotted by the state. And most homeschoolers spend far less than that, and maybe they would spend a little bit more. And maybe you put a few restrictions on, like you can only do X amount of field trips to X amount of dollars. Uh, but overall, you can take that money and you can run a home. I want to send them to a private school. Send us the bill. We'll pay it up to the – see? See? Well, what would that do? That would gut the public education sector. No, it wouldn't. It would mean that a child in the poorest part of Dallas would have equal opportunity for education as someone in the most affluent area of Plano, Texas. That's what it would mean. 
It would mean that they would have equal opportunity and there would be tons of private schools established that would market to parents and say, this is our philosophy, this is how we educate. Well, what if they educate children to do something that the state thinks is wrong? Tough shit. The state doesn't get to decide what your children learn, you do. Isn't that the way it should be? Shouldn't I decide what my children learn? Not some bureaucrat in Austin that doesn't have a freaking clue what's important to me, what's important to my children, or what my child's life is going to be like. Shouldn't that be the case? That's what I think. What do you think? Um, the next one is what safety net would exist for the truly disadvantaged, the people that really need assistance. <sighs> Let's start out with what the hell a safety net is supposed to be. Okay? A safety net works like this, a real safety net. You've got a family that, that's, that's performing in a circus, and they're in a high-wire trapeze act. And one dude holds a lightweight chick by the feet, and they're swinging back and forth and flips her in the air, and she does three somersaults, and she grabs the hands of the other guy, and everybody cheers. Underneath them, because humans are imperfect, is a net. If she is to fall into that net, it is to catch her and keep her from hitting the ground. She is not supposed to stay in that net. She's not supposed to go to sleep in that net. She's, she's damn sure not supposed to live in that net for the rest of her life. She could break her neck, she could break her arm, she could break her fingers, she could get hurt hitting the net. She may be injured, people may have to help her get out of the net, patch her up, but if she ever wants to be in the trapeze again, she has to get over the injury, get her ass out of the net, and get back to work. And people are only going to wait so long for her to get out of that net and get back to what she was doing before they say, well, she's not a trapeze artist anymore, and she's going to have to find something else to do that's less risky and less dangerous and more in tune with who she is now. That's a safety net. What we have in America today are not safety nets. People live in the safety net. Therefore, it's not a safety net. People expect the safety net to prevent them from being injured or harmed in any way. Therefore, it's not a safety net. It is completely unreasonable to run a society where a safety net equals providing for a standard of living. The only result of that will be absolute catastrophe, and that's what we have today. We have people in the quote-unquote safety net that have been in the safety net in their family for three, four, or more generations. No member in the linear family going back to great-grandma or great-grandpa or even further in some instances has ever actually held a job ever, has never done anything productive ever. That is not a safety net. So the first thing we have to do if we're going to say, well, what safety net would exist if all these crazy libertarians were in charge is define safety net. What the heck is a safety net? What should it be and do we have one today? The answer is we don't have a safety net. We have a means of providing sustenance and living for people that do nothing. Some people fall into that, utilize it as a safety net, and through their own determination, gumption, and, and hard-charging attitude, and through the assistance of charity, get back up, get on their feet, and pull their ass out of their own safety net. But we've made the safety net so effective... So comfortable that many people land in it and say, I like it here. I think I'll hang out. I know at least one person who contacted me one time by instant message. So, Jack, I want you to know something really cool. I said, what, Patrick? And he said, I'm retired now. Okay, Patrick's like 46. He was a little bit of an entrepreneur here and there, but overall he was not really very successful with it. And he did some odd jobs and things like that. And the guy never really had a pot to piss in, to be honest. 
but he's retired at 46 now. And I was like 36 at the time. So this guy's only 10 years older than me, and I'm just starting to really feel out how I'm going to get into this kind of a semi-retired mode. And he's fully retired at 46. So I mean, how did you do this? I'm on disability now. There you go. His attitude was, since I've screwed my life up enough and convinced enough bureaucrats that I'm not capable of providing for myself, and the government's going to provide for me for the rest of my life, I am retired, and I can live a retired lifestyle. I'll never have the things I dreamed of, but it's comfortable enough for me that I'll settle for it. That's not a safety net. One of our listeners who I love, Ronnie in Iowa, it was actually Veronica is her name, and she calls herself Ronnie in Iowa, um, emailed me one time a question I never got on the air, and I really wish I did, and I'm going to handle it now. She basically said she was a battered woman, and eventually decided she needed to get out of that situation and go to some place where they would help her out. And she found this place that she still stays in touch with because they helped her get her life back together that runs on government grants. And she's very conflicted because she's lady's very, very libertarian and said, I might be dead if it wasn't for this. And to think that that resource would go away if we stopped providing money there is horrifying to me. But the fact that that money is taken from people that don't want to spend it that way is all, how, do, how does that work out? Okay, here's my question for you. If the average American who works hard and lives in the, the middle class, the upper middle class today, wasn't paying taxes in a neighborhood of 40 to 50% total tax burden, how much more charity do you think they would give? How much more charity do you think they would give? How many places like that could exist without the government intervening? And the answer is we have no idea yet because it's never happened. I do know this. Most people, if they know anybody being abused by another person and are asked to intervene, will. What if there wasn't that choice? What if our communities had to step up and handle things like that individually? What if it was, because I'm not going to take away local law enforcement either. It would be a lot less loss for them to enforce. But the ones that are there, they could maybe do a better job and forth. Between local law enforcement, local communities, local charities, local churches, don't you think we could handle that issue? And the answer is we can more than handle that issue and the other things that need to be done. And we don't have to take it all away. We just have to start looking. Let's start out with all the crap we know is waste. I bet we can find a trillion dollars of waste in our government. Complete waste, completely unnecessary spending. And get rid of everything that goes along with it. Here's the thing. I'm going to have to break this into a two-part show. I've got an interview coming up in 15 minutes. And I wanted to go into and moving to a new state, and I've eaten up almost an hour with this subject alone today. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap up, and I'll come back, and I'll do the other part of this show, maybe in conjunction with an interview show this week or something like that, um, especially if an interview goes short or something. But what I want you guys to understand today is, again, my goal, my agenda today was never, uh, is not, and shall not be, to uh, to make you into a libertarian today. I have I have no desire to do that to you. What I have a desire to do is at least have you understand that there are other options, and maybe not everything is as you've been led to believe. And I want to finish up with people that have, let's say, a moral um, a moral problem with some of the positions that libertarians have, like gay marriage or marijuana. Nobody's saying you have to do it. No one's saying you have to approve of it. No one's saying that you need to let your children do it. No one's saying that it should be okay for the state to tell your children smoking marijuana is good for them. What, there's, what people are saying is if somebody wants to smoke marijuana or if two dudes want to get married, it's not your business. 
That, that's all that, that's, that's, and you say, well, I have a moral objection to that. Let me ask you how many things in society that are completely legal that you spend no time thinking about, that you're not on any kind of a witch hunt to make illegal, that you just, yeah, that sucks, but I, that's not my problem. How many things like that exist out there that are legal today that don't wait, that you don't spend any of your time on? You don't spend any of your thoughts on? And the answer is probably hundreds. There's probably hundreds of things that you find immoral, indecent, indecent, and wrong that you wish weren't, people wouldn't do, but it doesn't really affect you, so you go on about your life, you don't make a big deal out of it, and you leave it alone, right? Why can't you do that with these other issues? Do you really think society will implode if some dude down the road murders a doobie? He's already burning a doobie. Do you think that if Tom and Sam are married, that it's really going to affect you? They're already living like they're married. It's not going to affect you. It has no bearing on your life. How many things do you wish that somebody else would get out of your face and leave you alone to do? Karma is real. And if you want liberty and you want to be left alone, to me the only way to get it is to leave other people alone. Until they impinge upon your freedom and your liberty and actually do you harm, it's not your business what they do. It is that simple. Now, as I wrap up today, what does this have to do with self-sufficiency, self-reliance, independence, and liberty? It has everything to do with self-sufficiency and self-reliance. If I'm going to stand up and say, that I will look after myself, my family, and my community, even in the absence of government, I'm inherently saying I'm capable and I don't need government to do it for me. Okay? That, so if I start out from self-sufficiency and self-reliance, I march towards libertarianism because the very act of becoming self-reliant, independent, and, and, and liberated leads me to liberty. If I start out politically and simply look at the political system and examine it as a political person and see what's wrong and come to libertarianism from that view, and I stand up and say, we don't need the government for this, we don't need the government for that, we don't need the government for this, then inherently, eventually, if I'm a responsible individual, I say, well, if the government's not going to do all this crap, who is? And I say, well, at least in my life, my family's life, and my community's life, I'm going to do that. And that leads me to self-sufficiency and self-reliance. It's a continuum. They can't be separated. They cannot be separated. They can be compartmentalized, but only for so long. If you start growing your own food, if you get your ass out of debt, if you start thinking about providing for yourself, providing for your family and providing for your community, and you have any modicum of success in it, you're going to start questioning the need for somebody to do it for you or for somebody to do it for somebody else. You'll start saying, well, if I can do it, then they can do it. And you'll start saying, but what about the people that can't do it? Then you'll start looking at the people that aren't doing it. And you'll start dividing the can'ts from the won'ts. Then you'll see that the pile of can'ts is a very little pile. You'll start saying, yeah, we can help all these people with such a small portion of what's being taken from people right now. Such a tiny portion. If the won'ts weren't eating up all the pie. And you'll say, well, why will the won'ts won't? Why won't they do if they can? Aren't they trying? No, it's too easy to be a won't. We have to take away what makes it easy to be a won't. And all you'll be left with 
is, yeah, a few abuser wants that'll be good con men and can'ts. And if you want a system that truly provides a safety net for the can'ts and provides a safety, or actually provides an ability to support the can'ts as a, as a benevolent society that values every life, I'm for that. And if you want a legitimate safety net when a person falls, it catches them, but requires them to get the hell out of it and put their life back together, I'm for that. But if you want a society that says you can fail, 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 fail with no consequences and will still provide for you even though you could do something for yourself, I am opposed to that. When you talk about something that's immoral, that's immoral. And before you start worrying about assigning your morality to other people in ways that don't affect you, maybe you should think about the morality that does affect you. Because being for so let's look at another hot button issue that I won't even give you my opinion on abortion. Okay? Here's my big problem with abortion. You can be opposed to this. You can consider it murder, and your money can still be taken for you to support programs that provide it. Now, regardless of how I feel about the issue, regardless of my belief at where life begins and where woman's choice and all that is, regardless, it's morally wrong for you to have your money stolen to support something you consider criminal. Well, how many other places is that true? This is a real hot one, okay? But that decision can be made in a libertarian lifestyle of, you might still choose to do this, I think it's wrong, but don't make me pay for it. And if we can apply that to other areas, we start to actually free up society. And a lot of our problems won't go away, but they'll begin to become evident in a way that they can actually be addressed so that we can correct them. Those are my thoughts. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. It's in our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer, it's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, and we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Nobody up there cares, they're living.